I'm Helen. And I'm Ali. This is Cars of the Macabre. Profanities guaranteed. Viewer discretion is advised. Today we're going to talk about Waco. Wacko Waco. Wacko Waco. And uh, in particular, the leader of the cult, David Koresh. And I do love a cult. We do love a cult. We are part of a cult. We are. I find them fascinating. And the reason I've chosen this particular cult event is because I saw David Koresh's Camaro at Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum Last oh my Halloween. God, Helen, have you been to Zach Vegan's Haunted Museum in ha- LA? <laughs> have, I, have I not told you that? No, I don't I'm think not, you have. Not, it's in Vegas. It's news. To, oh, sorry. That's quite right. <laughs> but have I not told you that I've been to that? Um, only probably about three million times. <laughs> Every time I see you, I talk about it. But it is awesome. So, for those who don't know, Zach is the lead investigator of the Ghost Adventures series there's like 26 series or something on discovery got a lot of catching up to do yes i've actually watched them all um and he's the owner of the haunted museum in vegas did i tell you i'd been there have you been to the haunted museum in vegas i'm gonna have to tell you about it sometime and he's got an extensive collection of haunted cursed and macabre items um within like a haunted house Mm -hmm. so it's so cool and he has got David's Camaro. Amazing. Just randomly parked outside. You rock up. Oh, this? This oh, is just my haunted oh, car. <laughs> this, this is just this amazingly creepy car. Uh, so, yeah, so I've seen it. So that's why I want to do it as the first one. Okay. And so that I could tell you again how I've been to here Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum in Vegas. Are you plugging? Shameless plugging? No, I mean, I would go there again. You have to come with me. Hey, Zach Bagan, sponsor us. <laughs> he won't care, but we should definitely do that. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about David Koresh. His real name was actually Wayne Howell. Yeah, no wonder he changed it. Yeah. (laughs) He was born on the 17th of August in 1959 in Houston, Texas. Mm. No. But I'm just going to keep calling him David because he is known as David Koresh. Infamous David Koresh. So his mum, Bonnie Sue Clark, was 14 when she had him. <gasps> so she was a young mum. Uh, she actually placed David in the care of his grandmother, Erlene Clark, when he was four years old. Her name is Erlene. I might be saying it wrong, but it's literally spelled Erlene or Erline. I'm going to go with Erlene. I don't like either, but carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, so he went with... He was. She was looking after him from when he was four. And his mum did actually come back when he was seven and she'd remarried. She'd actually married a carpenter, which is kind of funny because it sort of goes along with the whole Messiah complex. Love that. Um, And she had another son. Uh, So David started off life without a father figure and he described his early years as lonely. So he didn't have the best start. Um, But then religion... Religion. The root of all evil. Or happiness. It depends how you look at it. 
Well, I'm a cynic, so... (laughs) You can be a cynic, you can. But religion became a juncture in his life once he allegedly became a born-again Christian at 15. So he found religion quite early, really. Yeah, but religion sends people do lally. Well, Mm. as we may well see here. (laughs) Um, And so he joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which his mother was also part of. See, aren't they massively screwed up? Um, I probably should have done some research on them, but I didn't. Because I want to say there's like a documentary on them, isn't there? If there is, I'll watch it. And I could be completely wrong, but I recall somewhere there's a documentary about them and they were pretty much a cult themselves. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um... So his mother was part of it, he became part of it. So there, Koresh became quite enamoured with a pastor's daughter at the church. Naughty boy. This is where it starts to go wrong, babe. <laughs> and he claimed, whilst praying for guidance, that he opened his eyes and found the Bible was open at Isaiah thirty four sixteen, which stated that none should want for her mate. So David was like, well... That's a sign from the big G.O.D. And told the pastor and said that God wanted him to have his 20, his 25-year-old, that would have been fine, wouldn't it? His 12-year-old daughter for a wife. Yeah, see, like I said, weird. Yeah. Every cult has a very young bride. However. Or lots of very young brides. Pastor didn't love this idea. He was like, no, mate, you're out. So he was actually, he chucked him out of the church. And then eventually, David would not give up about this this girl. So he actually got expelled from the congregation for good uh, and for generally being a sex pest. I mean, that's quite good. That shows they have some morals. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know anything about that church, so I can't comment. But um, See, there's already warning signs right there. He's obsessed with a child. Yeah, and... so he was 15, she was 12. Yeah, no, see, red flag right there. I mean, there's there's so much in his history. I'm not going to go over all of it, mm-hmm. um, but that there's loads of sources out there. There's books, there's the internet, there's all sorts of things. He's a very, very interesting character, which cult leaders generally are. Mm-hmm. They are quite fascinating. So keeping that in mind, the whole sex pest thing and the fact that he liked a 12-year-old girl and wanted her to be his wife, there were allegations of child abuse and statutory rape within the cult that he led when he was older. Um, No surprises there. Yeah, with survivor and friend of Koresh, David Thibodeau, quoted as saying, he certainly was guilty of something. He was either a polygamist or he was guilty of statutory rape. Probably both. Well, and that's from a friend. Yeah. However, a six-month investigation of sexual abuse allegations by the Texas Child Protection Services in 1992 failed to turn up any evidence. So, But can we just point out how many times protective services for children have failed <laughs> over the years? This is true, but on record, there's no evidence. So, you know, we can just surmise. So then, going back in time again, in 1981, when he was 22, Koresh moved to Waco, Texas, where he joined... Uh, the Branch Davidians, which is a splinter group of the Davidian Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. Try saying that when you're pissed. Right? (laughs) Try saying that when you're me. (laughs) So so the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. And after several years of claiming the gift of prophecy, 
which I might actually start doing, he was kicked out and he set up a very basic camp with followers that left with him, um, with sort of very loyal followers. followers. And then during his exile, he travelled a lot and he kind of spent that time gathering more followers and, and recruiting more people. Um, he he travelled about, he got in some trouble, he had some more epiphanies. And within this time, whilst David was away, there was quite a lot going on with the Branch Davidians as it was in Waco at the time. Um, and that there were quite a lot of sort of nefarious goings on at Mount Karma, which eventually led to David Koresh coming back and then he became the leader. So he was there, then he was kicked out. And then he came back. And then he came back because the person who was leading was a bit naughty and was killing people and stuff. So, yeah. I mean, That's they have a whole other got the can best, of worms. <laughs> no, I mean, they don't have the best sort of history before any of the Waco siege stuff. It was so, doomed from the beginning. I mean, yeah, maybe it was. Um, so Koresh's religious claims, in no particular order include being the modern-day Cyrus the Great, who was the founder of the first Persian Empire. Oh, Christ's sake. <laughs> um, he claimed that God had chosen him to father a child who would be the chosen one. Like Harry Potter? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And by taking the name of David Koresh, he was professing himself to be the spiritual descendant of King David, a messianic figure carrying out a divinely commissioned errand. Well, I mean, definitely a cult leader. Definitely a cult leader. Dodgy childhood. Child bride. Sex pest. Tried to get into religion. Took it a little bit far. Yeah. You know, a little bit enthusiastic with the epiphanies and messiahdom. That's the stew right there. Messiahdom a word. Should we make it a word if it isn't? Yeah. Messiahdom copyright <laughs> would it just be a prophet yeah i mean Maybe. he thinks he is a prophet mm. he thinks he's all the oh, things because yeah, the messiah is god yeah so a prophet would be a messenger of god mm, I, I don't know because sometimes he thinks he's he's been chosen by god and then in other ways he thinks he is in charge so but uh, whatever the kind of ins and outs of it were he believed and people believed that God was t- talking directly to him and that he was a very special man. I'm glad they had something to believe in though. Yeah. Um, and can you have a cult without a religion? Mm-hmm. Well, we have, don't we? Yeah, exactly. I, just, I like the general idea of a cult, kind of everyone living together in a big house. Communal. It's basically a commune, yeah. isn't it? Um. Yeah, I think... Not many people. The thing is, people use religion as an excuse to get away with things. Okay. And those people that are so... They're so desperate for either something or someone to believe in will then just follow it without asking questions. Yeah. Um, they don't think for themselves and things like that. So, yeah, people often will use religion as getting what they want, essentially. Or covering up or what covering they don't want up, people to yeah. see. You know, I'm not anti-religion. At all. Believe in what you want to believe in. But some people, I think, just take the biscuit. Yeah. I still find it really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. 
So basically, that that is Koresh in a small nutshell. There's a lot to the guy, really is. And, you know, I definitely recommend kind of reading up more about him because... Yeah, he's 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 he was one on his own. <laughs> David, I love the name. Love the way he changed his name. Um, and just went, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, change. Wayne's it. not a leader's name, is it? No, not unless there has been a leader of a cult called Wayne. But maybe there has, but I don't see it. No, it's not really. I don't think it's a very biblical name either. Whereas David, exactly. Yeah, there wasn't a Wayne in the Bible, was there? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I've never read the Bible, <laughs> apart from maybe a few like. Bits at school, in primary school, that is. Yeah, I don't think there's a Wayne in the Bible. No. So now back to his creepy Camaro, because that's obviously the thing that I'm very, very excited about. So David had restored the 1968 black Chevy Camaro on the Colts compound at Mount Carmel. Um, according to an FBI agent, Koresh absolutely loved this Camaro. And among the custom details um, is the inscription... Davide 427, go God. So that was stamped on the engine block. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, it's got a 427 big block V8 under the bonnet. And technically, this was a two-door sports coupe out of the factory. But SS 427 emblems were added because of that massive V8. Um, and another big bonus for me because I'm a petrol head is the fact that it was four speed manual transmission because I hate autos <laughs> and I love that so you know as far as a cult car goes I think he chose quite well yeah. he was a car guy there's no doubt I mean it will draw a bit of attention definitely yeah yeah and it's all black interior is black it's it is a beautiful car um so Koresh was most definitely a petrol head. Um, he actually had a few muscle cars at Mount Carmel and was teaching one of his sons to work on them with him. So he's teaching him the mechanics of, of cars, mm -hmm. which, you know, is quite cool. But sadly, um, these treasures of his were obliterated by tanks involved in the siege, which I have to say seems wasteful. Because some... <laughs> That's a sad day when the cars get destroyed. Well, because somebody could have used those or they could have gone, you know... Could have used them as like an attraction. Yeah, which this ends but up to be much fair. Being. Like I think you would just drive around in it shortly. I would. Than, yeah, I'd drive a car with this car, wouldn't yeah, you? Absolutely. Yeah. Why would you not? No, that's it. It's not car's fault, is it? <laughs> the car did nothing wrong. Car didn't do anything. It was coerced. It was. So the Camaro, unfortunately, was actually trashed in this whole siege situation, and quite a few items were stolen from it. Wait, after so if it. it was trashed, did it get restored or anything? Oh, uh, okay, you'll go into that one. I will, yeah. I will okay. tell you. Because when I saw it at Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum in Vegas, it's pristine. Oh. Yeah, it's like perfect. Um, so some bits were stolen off of it. So after the siege, someone went, I'm going to take the steering wheel, the gear knob and the petrol cap as a souvenir from this horrific event. Petrol cap. There's always somebody stealing something. I'm surprised this isn't in the UK because we are uh, all thieves. We all come from thieves and pirates and, you know. Yeah, no we're not offense all... to Liverpudlians or anything, but they do like a hubcap. Hubcap. I don't think cars have hubcaps anymore, do they? Oh, Lord knows. I don't think they do. But, um, you know, this this sounds like something that might go on in the UK. Mm -hmm. You know, sellotape your blooming petrol cap on love or something. Looting, rioting. Exactly. Yeah. 
So after that event, so it was missing bits. It was in a sorry state. And then it changed hands several times following the siege. Uh, and it was restored at some point, but it's difficult to tell when and who by. Okay. Um, but it was restored really, really well. Um, after which time, Zach bought it. And he purchased Armageddon's Relic, as the Chevy is known, from a dealer in Phoenix who, interestingly, didn't disclose the vehicle's history in its listing, which, if there was a car that had a cult leader beforehand and then a matching car that didn't have a cult leader beforehand, I'd be inclined to go for the cult leader car. Yeah, and you might get it a bit cheaper that way. Like, say, if you buy a house where someone's been murdered, you could probably yeah, I don't, negotiate I mean, pricing. That's quite scary. As far as I know, no one was killed in this Camaro. No, but, like, the fact it was owned by a cult leader. Yeah. It would, you know, it's that kind of... It's either going to put people off or it's going to inter- encourage people, yeah. but there's kind of no in-between, is yeah. there? Yeah, but you could definitely negotiate the price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I well, would try. <laughs> I tell you what, they, they wouldn't take an offer... Zach had to pay full price for it. And they, oh. they actually got offered more money after Zach had bought it. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's an incredible car. It's low mileage and it was owned by David Koresh. So it's, you know, it's it, it's a part of history, isn't it? Yeah. The true crime yeah. history, definitely. Absolutely. Right. So I literally just found out today that Zach sold it. <gasps> no. So as I was researching and kind of getting my notes together... It's no longer at the Haunted Museum in Vegas. So you're really lucky that you got to see it. I really am. And I got some photos, which I've put on our um, Instagram. I took them at night because I was there at night. So they're not the best. But um, but yeah, he sold it. Um, it was through Vegas Auto Galleries. And I couldn't actually fa- find out who'd bought it. But why did he sell it? So what Zach tends to do is rotate the things he has in the museum. I don't know why he sold that. Perhaps he... He wouldn't, he might have had space to park it in the museum. He's already got um, a big, the death bus mm-hmm. parked in there. Um, so perhaps he didn't want to leave it outside. And he didn't I have suppose to put it. with like the death bus, that's possibly more, I don't want to use the word inviting, but more people would want to see that because people were killed in it. They were literally killed in it, yeah. Rather than a cult leader owned this car. I mean, yeah. it, it's still, you know. I don't know. I mean, I if I'd have had the money, I would have bought it off him. But I, and I don't know what was paid for it. But he made money on it. I'd I know love that to see much. that in your driveway. <laughs> I next would. To the I E30. Would. I love that. <laughs> so I don't know where it is. I tried to look, tried to find out. So if anybody knows who bought the car, let us know. Let us know on Instagram because I would really like to know. And I hope that they kind of put it to good use, share it with other people, drive it, treat it well. Yeah, like a baby. Yeah, because it is a lovely car. And I mean, what what an, it might be a macabre history, but what history it's got. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was my news flash of information. Oh, Zach hasn't even got it anymore. And that's disappointing because I really want to go there and just see everything that you saw. Because when you, you know, because you have told me that you've been. <laughs> <laughs> it would just Quite be amazing because you were just so animated about it all. And yeah, it got me really excited to go. And, you know, now that I'm getting into cars a bit more. Yes. Yeah, I'm certainly more interested in seeing things like that as well, yeah. And you're already macabre. Oh, no, I'm already macabre. Spooky bitch. So yeah, so it's not there anymore, which is a bit sad. But I'm going to go back to the Waco siege, which was in 1993. And I want to start off by saying that there are various views 
of what happened with the whole situation. So I've watched the series Waco, which was presented by Showtime. Uh, So there's quite a few different series. This was released in 2018 and it featured Taylor Kitsch playing David Koresh. He was really good, actually. Um, And I also read Waco, a survivor's story, which is the series is based on. um, And that's by David Thibodeau, known as Tibbs. And he was a he was a survivor. Mm -hmm. But as well as so as well as reading countless accounts from journalists, government officials and actual branch Davidian survivors themselves, I can see both sides and both arguments um, and possibly the truth, but it's a case of it's kind of up to you to decide because it's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. It is a tricky There's one. There's no concrete. No. This is what happened. No, exactly. So initially, agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and the FBI swooped in on the Branch Davidian compound in search of illegal weapons, which they did have. They did have a lot of firearms. You wouldn't probably find a cult without them. No. In America, anyway. <laughs> and they were sort of preparing for the apocalypse. That was part of their belief system. So <laughs> the nature of that means you're probably going to get kitted out of things to shoot zombies. That does remind me, we need to put on our apocalypse list firearms. <laughs> yes. It's a bit harder for us to get them in this country. Yeah. I'm, I'm, for now, I'll just, oh, we'll just stick. I've got an air rifle. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how much damage or help that would... Give us, but yeah, yeah. hit somebody with it. <laughs> Even if it's just with the throw actual it. thing. Just throw it at them. Get away. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> so this in, this initial raid claimed the lives of four government agents and six branch Davidians. So this started the whole thing. Quick question. Yep. What did I mean? Did Koresh have a specific agenda with the cult at all? It's. Again, there's lots of different sources that say lots of different things. He he was really into music, so he did a lot of like sort of religious rock and roll, and that's actually how he met um, Tibby David Thibodeau. So he played the drums, and he went and played drums for them, and that's actually how he got to know them. Oh, okay, and there was sort of like all the men who lived there had to be celibate. And David was the only man who was allowed to have sexual relations with any women. Of course. So he, you know, he was trying to basically produce twenty-four of these sort of chosen beings, um, and they were going to lead when the apocalypse came. They were going to lead the kind of new world against it. That's sort of that's it. Explained very simply. He had a bit of a god complex there, didn't he? Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, he completely did. Yeah, delusions of grandeur are plenty. The spawn of David is going to rule the world. Ooh, no thank you. So... Well, I mean, it was all just a bit strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's kind of it. It's, you know, there, were, there was no alcohol. There was no... I don't think they could smoke weed. I don't think they could even smoke. I might have got that wrong, but... Certainly different to Charlie Manson's goal. <laughs> definitely different to Charlie. Um, they played a lot of music. They they read from the Bible and, you know, they all lived together in this compound. He clearly had a bit of a screw loose. He had some problems going, didn't he? I mean, 
you know, it, it would have been interesting to kind of interview him, but he died. So it would have been really interesting oh, to... damn. We're just going to hold a seance. Come to our stage. So tell us what was going on. What, what, what was that with you, mate? Did you have issues? Because we think on? you might have done. But it, uh, it would have been fascinating to have a talk with him. Oh, for sure. So what he was trying to do sort of throughout this siege was actually write down religious journals almost um, to explain himself and explain the religion. But then, you know, the siege kind of got worse, which I will talk about. So records state it's still a matter of dispute who fired first. Although the Waco series strongly suggests that it was the authorities, the ATF agents may have first shot a dog approaching them, (gasps) setting off the firefight. But three reporters who were there that day have each testified that they believed the Davidians fired first. Just don't shoot a dog. Why does the dog have to die? He's not the cult leader, is he? No, the dog did fuck all. That really annoys me. I don't like animals getting hurt. It's horrible. So whoever shot that dog, shame on you. Shame. So that's what kicked it off. Oh, no. See, I, if something's happening to an animal in a film, it's like, nope, turn it off, nope. close my eyes, yeah. put things in my ears, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Go away. The dog ne- The dog doesn't have to die. No, animals don't have to die. Neither do humans, but I, I, I am one that. with the animals. <laughs> so, again, it's st- one side's blaming the other mm-hmm. side, the other side's blaming the other side. It's all about the, the he side. said, she said bullshit. Exactly, and there's literally no way to know. Mm-mm. There's no way to know. What we do know is that the government mishandled negotiations and they did fail to seek out any kind of reasonable settlement with the group from the beginning. They okay. kind of they literally went in all guns blazing. Um, and we know this because, the, you know, the, in the final advance, the final advance resulted in deaths of 76 people, including 20 women and children. And... Um, like what followed was just a nightmarish scene, kind of like an apocalyptic horror movie. It was just awful. It was literally nightmare fuel, babe. Nightmare fuel. Um, it lasted for fifty-one days. The siege of Waco, at Waco. I'd be knackered. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I'd be like, listen, can we just have Netflix one of these nights just to break it up? Just want a nap. Just you know, <laughs> ceasefire for a minute. Yeah. No, hang yeah. on. Just put pause on this. I'm going to go yeah, for now. T- time out, time out. But yeah, so it, 51 days it lasted. Started with bullets and it ended with an almighty inferno that engulfed the entire compound. And the compound was pretty big. There was a lot of them living there. So you started the fire. Was it? Oh, okay. Well, again, there's two sides. Okay. So it's not known. Yeah. So in between gunfire... The people of Mount Carmel were running low on supplies and had to ration food and water. Um, The power was cut off. Okay. They had no electricity, heating or water. Most of the windows had been shot out in the first advance, the first sort of start of the shooting, the initial wave of the violence, basically. So they were very exposed to the elements because it's kind of on the prairie, so it's... Dry. Yeah, dry, windy, you know, we'll get the elements in there. Um, They also had to use buckets for toilets. Ew. Nope. Nope. No, thank you, ma'am. Nope, nope. We all know how I feel about not having a proper toilet. That's why I don't camp. No, same here. 
Never again. So what the FBI were trying to do was get Koresh and his followers to surrender peacefully. That's what they were trying to get them to do. Leave the compound, come out, hands up, you know. And some of the group did emerge, uh, nine in total. Some of those were children. Most of those were children. So nine people, that was it. Yeah. So it was a couple of... So how many people were in the cult? Well, nine plus 76. Okay. <laughs> I know it worked Don't out. Don't ask me. I do words, not numbers. Literally rubbish. <laughs> I do paintbrush strokes, not numbers. So I think that would have been 85. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Goober's nodding like, so, mm, well done, I'm so proud of you. Gilbert is our technical wizard, podcast extraordinaire, sound guru, awesome man. And we're literally just looking at him and he's nodding. Yeah, you idiots. <laughs> that's how much. He, no, he's nodding and smiling, but inside he's dying. Because he's like, it's like these two oh are my idiots. God, literally. <laughs> it's nine. Just add nine. For Christ's sake. <laughs> so, You're with me voluntarily, by the way. I just want to point that out. <laughs> he swore at me. <laughs> That's okay. I feel like he's allowed to. He's very talented. Inspector Gadget. Yeah. So nine came out, but the rest remained by David's side. And David was actually shot in the first attack. Oh. So d- did he die then? In the 51 days, while he had a gunshot wound. In oh. fact, quite a few of them did. Some of them were shot dead. Some of them were injured. Um... So then, yeah, they let nine. He let nine go. I tell you what, it must have been very resilient to carry on for that long with a gunshot wound, because with no access to medical care, that's an nope. infection right there. Yeah, exactly. No water, no anything. Mm. They did what they can no. to patch him up, but obviously, you know, that's going to knock him back a bit. Well done, I suppose. <laughs> so the thing is, though, that you know, the rest of them basically, it was claimed that they feared they'd be shot. If they left, um, due to all the gunfire so far, um, and they had also been assured that if the kids left, they wouldn't be split up. Because bearing in mind, these children have grown up together. Mm-hmm. They are each other's brothers and sisters, even if it's not biological. Yeah. And as soon as they were taken out, they were split up. That Pe- would have been pretty harrowing. Yeah. Not only having seen what they've seen during the siege, but then to be like your your sources of comfort are then just nowhere around you. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to look at it from their point of view. They think they're doing the right thing by their children, mm-hmm. but then they're seeing their children being split up, taken away. People aren't getting treated well when they come out. So, you know, they're thinking, well, why should we come out? Because it yeah. seems more dangerous to come out than stay in. Yeah. And they did fear they'd be shot as soon as they left. Um they had Which I been think sh- would be quite a natural yeah. thought process, to well, be fair. Well, they'd been shot out so far. Yeah. Some of them had been killed in their beds while they were sleeping. Because the, the structure of Mount Carmel was just a wooden building. Right. It's not like our brick buildings we're used to over here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of, if you shot through that, you got shot. It was awful. Note to self, don't build a house out of wood. <laughs> so that literally created a standoff. Yeah. Because they were like, we're not coming out. They're like, well, we're not giving up. So they just kind of waited it out. And, uh, you know, from the Branch Davidians' perspective, they were sitting ducks because they were stuck in a horror movie on repeat for 51 days, which is, that's such a long time. Bananas, really, if you think about it. Like, it's a long, because you can just imagine how drawn out those hours would have been each day, just thinking, am I going to die? They've not got food, enough food no or water. Food. There's, you know, 
what is literally sustaining them? Fear. Well, also, sort of, you know, they're looking to David and David's saying, don't worry, this this is what's supposed to happen. The apocalypse is here. The apocalypse is because it's all kind of playing into his oh, predictions. That, yeah. And they're that brainwashed. They're going to believe him rather than being like, OK, I'm going to go and... Yeah, <laughs> and some of them were were massively supportive of him, yeah. so they weren't going to leave him. He had been shot, so mm-hmm. you know. So there's. I wouldn't um, leave you if you got shot. Thank you. Well, that's what I mean. Like we're in a cult. If s- stuff started going awry, you'd be like, "I'm Helen, not leaving you." You can't. You can't call our family a cult. <laughs> well, I don't know. If everybody met our family, they might change their minds. <laughs> So I just want to read you a passage from Waco, A Survivor's Story, which is the book written by David Thibodeau, which is really good. I highly recommend reading it. You can get it on Audible. You can buy it paperback from Amazon. Or yeah, it'll be a paperback. I won't. Well-known bookstore. <laughs> uh, so he describes just one of the torturous methods used against them all to try and encourage in quotes, a peaceful surrender. So, it is hell. Day and night, booming speakers blast us with wild sounds, blaring sirens, shrieking seagulls, howling coyotes, wailing bagpipes, crying babies, the screams of strangled rabbits, crowing roosters, buzzing dental drills, off-the-hook telephone signals... A cacophony of speeding trains and hovering helicopters alternate with amplified recordings of Christmas carols, Islamic prayer calls, Buddhist chants and repeated renderings of whiny Alice Cooper and Nancy Sinatra's (laughs) clunky lyrics. I'm really sorry, I don't know why I find that funny. (laughs) These boots are made for walking. Through the night, the glare of brilliant stadium lights turns our property into a giant fishbowl. The young children and babies in our care, most under eight years old, are terrified. So they plagued them with with torture. It, it is torture. Do they have seagulls around the prairie? No, so it would have been more scary, wouldn't it? So, wait. Christmas carols is the scariest thing to me. If someone played Christmas carols on repeat, I would go absolutely bonkers. Do you know what? Speaking of Christmas carols, as you were reading that, it's such a long list and so like descriptive and everything like that, my mind instantly went to how Dickens describes things in his books. I don't know why. <laughs> There's like just a long list, a constant list, and yeah, that's Dickens. Yeah, well, but but can you imagine that? Just noises that were recorded that they were doing. Yeah, so they were playing them out of huge, great big speakers. So it was deafening. It was really loud. It wasn't just like in the background. It was the speakers were placed all pointed at the house. There's no other sound around. So in the middle of nowhere. And they've got all of these noises being played at them constantly, and then stadium-style lights being put through, like mm. through the windows, so they can't sleep, they can't get any rest from it, they can't get away from it. It now makes me wonder who has used seagull noises as a form of torture before. I don't know. It's ingenious. <laughs> uh, Christmas carols would be my absolute <laughs> nightmare Actually, from hell. To be fair, Mariah Carey on a loop. Can you imagine? I'm anything on a loop. Yeah, I'm is cut my own ears just off. Just awful. Um, and it, the thing is, the other FBI and government officers are there, so they're having to hear it as well. Nah, so they made a video defenders or something. I mean, they might have done, but honestly, if you see the size of the the, the loudspeaker, whatever they're called. Speaker. What are they called? No, not a speaker, tannoys. Tannoys. Oh, uh, okay, right, yeah. So they've got loads of these tannoys. So they couldn't help but hear it. You, li- you know, it was really loud. And then the poor kids, 
they must have been so scared. And they would have been crying a lot and now that would have been torture. Yeah. Yeah, I would have actually. Yeah. I don't like the sound of children crying and screaming. It annoys me. No. But can you like can you imagine having to listen to like animals dying? Yeah, that would have been horrendous. That like screaming rabbits and like that's horrible. it's just awful. And you know what we're like with sounds? We get annoyed with everything. Yeah, well, to be honest, like at the back here where we live, there's like a there's a dairy farm thing so you can hear the mothers when the little baby boy coughs have been taken away from don't them. no honestly no. And that, that's torture that that's is awful. absolutely horrendous hashtag go vegan um <laughs> hashtag yeah <laughs> so yeah i'd oh my god i'd have been a mess that's awful because they would have they can't make that sound they would have done that and recorded the sound of like i don't know strangling a rabbit yeah, it oh, was. No, it makes me feel horrible. They were using tactics that they would use in yeah, sort of torture mm-hmm. situations to try and flush them out of the compound. Honestly, give me medieval torture over that any day. Like, I'd rather go through like the stretching thing rather than having to listen to all of that. I'd rather not be tortured. Well, yeah, if I had a choice, I'd rather not be tortured. But if I, if I had to choose, I'd rather go the medieval route rather than having to listen to animals dying. Yeah. For sure. Or Christmas carols. Christmas carols. (laughs) (laughs) As well as the aforementioned methods, tanks busted into the property, demolishing walls and firing pyrotechnic rounds of gas. Some members of the group actually had gas masks because they were prepared for the apocalypse, but not all of them, and these didn't fit the children. So mums were soaking rags in what water they could find and putting them over the kids' mouths to try and help them. Um, Women and children had actually fled to a particular part in the building, which was a food store, and it was almost like a bunker within the compound because the compound was made out of wood, but then this food store was a little bit more sturdy and construction so they were in there because they thought they'd be safer but actually they ended up going being trapped in there and they died in there so um, what from gas poisoning yeah so when the tanks were coming in they were literally the noses of the tanks coming into the building inserting all this gas in they were also firing gas in as well you know so what the- that sounds like don't you in a bunker with gas it's very reminiscent of what happened in World War Two. Oh, it's horrendous. Can you oh that to be God. so scary? So, uh, and you were asking about the fires as well. So, so the women and children trapped in there, gas gets in, it, is, it literally turns into a gas chamber. So they can't get out. They physically can't get out. Everything's crumbled in around them because the tanks have bulldozed down walls. So it's just, it's even more dangerous than it was before. This is making me really sad. It's awful. It's really awful. And then fires started in a wooden building, um, likely from the gas, because the gas is flammable. But wasn't all the power turned off? Power was turned off. But... So so how was the... What would have mixed with the gas to ignite? Well, the, the... Upon, you know, if they're firing things in... Well, yeah, I suppose. I didn't really think of that question before I answered it. Asked then it. I would, no, I'm, I'm kind of working out in my head. So if they were firing in, like, gas things... I don't know what they're called. <laughs> I'm just call it a gas bomb, I suppose. But that, that could ignite, couldn't it? Yeah, couldn't it, it? it? Gas has to then mix with something. So it will have the oxygen and then it needs something heat-wise to ignite. 
Well, yes, but it... Had the fires already started with a like, little... Pyrotechnic rounds of gas. Guns. And yeah, and gunfire. Of course. But they're pyrotechnic rounds of gas. I thought he was doing it at me, pointing and shooting at me. <laughs> yeah. Am I that bad? <laughs> so actually, that was literally just adding fuel to an already very dangerous situation, wasn't it? Yeah. Literally. Um, there are claims that Branch Davidians started the fires themselves. I personally can't see this because there were children in there and I just don't think they would have done that. Um, and when, you know, a lot of them did then, some well, some of them, I think it was only a few actually, that managed to get out of the fire, get out of the building um, and run to safety and the rest of them perished in there. So why on earth would they set themselves on fire and then some of them would escape? That You know, if that, if that was their intention... They would have just all stayed in there. Yeah, and it would have been like a suicide pact. Exactly, but that's that's not what there was never any mention of a suicide no. pact that didn't seem to their intention. So I don't I don't think that's true. And if it was a suicide pact, they would have done it all in the same room. I would guess. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't be all separating out into different things. No. But you know, they were trapped in there because of the, all the walls would come down, exits were blocked. There's now a fire. There's also they can't breathe. There's gas. Mm-hmm. So, you know. There we go. So, but as a result of opinions, tales, facts, and reports on Sejo Wake, Sejo, on the Waco siege, uh, it it is an amalgamation of twisted facts, which basically serve varying narratives depending on your political view. You twist it how you kind of want to tell it or see it, um, and then the truth has three versions: there's yours, mine, and the actual truth. And we'll never know what it is because everybody died. And there were no cameras sort of in there getting everybody's moves and seeing what's going on, which could happen now. Well, yeah. It's, you know, there's there's just everyone's different sides, two stories. And it's like, you'll never know the real truth. No. Because it's always twisted how one party who's reporting on it essentially wants it to be seen. Exactly. And the same for someone else. And so government agencies aren't going to turn around and go, yeah, basically, we just smoked the bastards out. No, I'm not they won't. That, are they? So, <laughs> no. you know, so it's, it's really awful. Um, but so we'll definitely never know for certain, which is really, really awful. What we do know is that there were losses on both sides. So people died on e- each side, which isn't good. And Mount Carmel was totaled. David's cars were destroyed, aside from the Camaro, mm-hmm. which, although it was a bit hurt, it's all right now. Um, and it, it's now out there as a truly macabre car. I love that. Although now we can no longer see it. No, this is why I really want to know. If anyone knows where this car's gone, um, I couldn't find of reports who'd brought it. And I don't... I don't. We want to know. I do want to know. I want to know. I want to go see it. Because when it was a Zach's, we could obviously see it. Oh, no, it's not a Zach's <laughs> not Zach, why did you sell... Yeah, not necessary. It's not necessary. He's just given it to me. I could have paid him off monthly or something. <laughs> payment plan. I could have paid on a I payment it plan. On finance. <laughs> or paid him with artwork. Like for the for rest of my people, life. For some people, that would work. <laughs> Helen, I adore you. You're the most wonderful artist. I don't think that would cut it for Zach. No, I don't think it would. <laughs> no. I don't think he wants that. Not with like the extent of his collection and what he has. It's like, yeah, here's some artwork for free. Can I have that? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, when he's got actual artwork from 
serial killers in his museum. He'd be like, um, yeah. until you've killed someone, this is not worth anything to me. Yeah. Now, go along. Go on. Sod off. So that's the story of the Camaro and David Koresh. Obviously, that is a very condensed version. And there are different sides, different opinions, you know, different allegations, all kinds of different reports. So basically go out there, research yourself, yeah. come up with your own conclusion. You kind of have to because there's no way to prove it either way. Mm-hmm. I know what I think, but it's just up to everybody to kind of decide for themselves. But whatever, it was awful. Yeah, it sounds horrendous. Yeah. I mean, cults never really seem to end up... They don't in... end well. No. There's never really kind of like a... Happy ending. I mean, unless there's any cults that are still going that are lovely. But they wouldn't call themselves a cult. Well, that's the thing. They just, yeah, call themselves something else. We do call ourselves a cult. Yeah. (laughs) We are not romanticising. No. We're just a group of people that hang out together and some of us like cars. Exactly. And and I'm spiritual and I like crystals. What's that got to do with anything? (laughs) Well, that's like the belief part. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well that was my story so that was the first episode of Cars of the Macabre about uh, David Koresh's Camaro if you head over to our Instagram which is at Cars of the Macabre there's loads of pictures on there from my museum visit there's be pictures from us recording the podcast wait a sec have you been to Zach Bagan's <gasps> oh, museum in Las oh, did, Vegas did I did I not tell you oh no I don't think you did oh I'll, I'll have to tell you all about the fact that I've been to Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum in Vegas <laughs> I look forward to hearing it <laughs> Although now if you go, you can't see the Camaro, which I really am sad about. <laughs> yes, sounds about that. Exactly. But I'd like to say a massive thank you to you, and Ali. To you, thank Elf. you. And then obviously to Mark Gilbert for doing all our sound. And I know I screwed up massively on this, so I'm sorry that you had to edit some stuff. Poor chief potato. You. And this <laughs> I told you I'd get it in there. <laughs> just shaking his head so this was brought to you by park lane studios yeah so thank you for listening and we hope i you... thought that was going to be the end no we've got to say stay spooky oh, okay you can keep all this in by the way <laughs> please don't <laughs> no you terrible. can it's fine people need to know the truth <laughs> yeah so we hope you enjoy the episode come back listen to the next one um which will be about jane mansfield Next one's you, isn't it, babe? It is me, babe. So, until then, make sure you stay Stay spooky, spooky, bitches. bitches.